Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Ladier. I am your host, Sophie, joined as I usually am by my co-host and younger sister, Hannah. Hey Hannah, how's it going? Hey, hey. We also have a very special guest this week, but before we let her introduce ourselves, uh, Hannah and I wanted to run through something crazy that happened last week. Uh, Hannah, as most of our listeners probably know, we did a... Um, virtual brunch over the weekend and we watched Lost Boys. So you and I had a conversation about how we wanted to handle our virtual brunch because we've never done one and we wanted people to be able to watch us in real time and we wanted folks to be able to participate uh, live and so we decided that since our following is relatively small we were probably safe to just uh, do a Zoom and put our Zoom link on Twitter. That ended up not being true but... <laughs> Before anything wonky happened, do you want to tell the listeners who Zoom bombed us within one minute of being on Zoom? I think I've decided my theory is this happened by accident. I, so I also like, I feel like it was so bizarre that my brain is like, did that really happen? It did happen. Don't turn on me now. Tell the people who it was. (laughs) So it was... None other than David Tennant, Doctor Who himself. Yes. Now, here's my theory. Okay. My theory is he was trying... Like, you know when you want someone to join a Zoom, you send them your Zoom code. Mm-hmm. My theory is someone sent him a Zoom code, and when he was typing it in, he typed the wrong one and ended up in ours. Because, mm. like, my initial theory was, oh, David Tennant is just, like, doing a funny thing by popping into people's Zoom to, like, bring them joy. Uh... But then what occurred to me is he never turned his audio on. He appeared as surprised as we were, and he was only on for about 30 seconds before he laughed and hung up. (laughs) So, oh, our our guest has a question. Yes? Okay. First off, who types in Zoom links? You just copy and paste them or click them. So I, although that could be a valid reason, I'm still, I'm a little skeptical. I'm also but listen, if you're going from your phone to your computer, not everybody has the iPhone where your texts are going to come up on your y- Yeah, that's computer. what I was going to say. I always type I type my in. code in all the time. Yeah. Even it goes to your email? <laughs> well, a lot of times people will just like text me the code. They're like, We're, this is the code for my Zoom. Yeah. Also, I'm so jealous you got to see David Tennant. It was crazy. So It like, was so bizarre and like, I feel feel like because he typed in like hey everyone and then I screamed and was like I don't and know what's he looked happening. shocked <laughs> and then so he was like wait is this real and then I was like I don't like it and then he left oh yeah Hannah got scared so, <laughs> so I had this so it was hilarious because uh Hannah's partner was sitting on the couch next to her but my partner was in the kitchen and Hannah and I were both like screaming and freaking out so my partner didn't see any of this and like to to this day thinks that we're lying. But I'm like, listen, my initial thought was I had the same reaction as you, Hannah, where I was like, this can't be real. This is like so fucking insane. This can't be real. And then I was like, okay, so maybe what's happening is someone is doing like a really good deep fake of David Tennant and Zoom bombing people. But the thing is, like, it looked like what you would anticipate David Tennant might look like if he's been quarantining at home. Like he had stubble on his face and like did not look super put together but it was absolutely David Tennant. And again, if he was doing it, if it was someone doing it as a trick, like you'd think they would do something. But he, as soon as we were like, what's going on? And Hannah got scared and was like hiding out of frame and was like, I don't like it. I don't like it. He just like hung up. (laughs) Um, So I maintain that we got Zoom bond by David Tennant and it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Um, But... Now we want to introduce our guest. So our guest this week is a very dear friend of both of ours, but really of mine. I'm going to take ownership of Ashley. Um, Mm -hmm. I met Ashley when she and my partner were at UChicago together uh, getting their master's degrees. And she has been, she and I have been sort of talking back and forth about having her on the show and she picked the movie we're covering this week. So Ashley, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your podcast? So yeah, I... Actually, it was Sophie who told me about this movie, so kudos to her. (laughs) I feel so excited. That makes it even better. And I actually made my partner watch it with me on Halloween, so now uh, I've been spreading the love. But yeah, so I'm Ashley. I uh, am a giant religion nerd. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't really know how else to say it. That's who I am. That's I, perfect. I'm getting my PhD, and I have a podcast that's called Religionish, and it's all about like religion and society and how religion is doing things behind the scenes and still impacting things even if you're not a believer or unaware of it. So um, the episode that came out last week was about religion and the Democratic Party. Um, mm. So I'm also a politics nerd, so that's that's fun. Um, I talk about all So the you things. and Jeremy have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> so I talk about all the things you're not supposed to talk about in, like, at the dinner table or in polite company. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, you should check it out, religionish.com. But, yeah, so uh, I've also started doing these things called spirit checks. One's going to come out this week, kind of during uh, quarantining, like, what's going on? How are we all feeling? What's happening? <laughs> Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought up the spirit check because I uh, listened to the the last one you did and was specifically going to ask that you plug those. Because I think that like, even if you're someone who's listening to this and you're like, I don't know if religionist sounds like it's for me, which even if you think that you should listen to it because you're probably wrong. Uh, like it's probably if you're like, eh, I'm not really into religion and politics, like it's going to cover stuff that intersects in your life. Like, there's, so I would recommend it anyway. Yeah, but, there's like also a lot of history stuff. Um, yeah. We have an episode on comic books. Uh, Sophie and I did an episode on horror movies and religion. Um, I've done episodes on white nationalism, virtual reality. Um, I'm currently working on an episode about religion and music, so we're going to talk about a lot about rap. So yeah, nice. Uh, so cool. I'm, there's like a lot of stuff. I have stuff about water. Um, I'm going to try and do an evangelical 101 closer to the election, since that's always a big very cool topic. So yeah, so it's it covers anything and everything. It runs the gamut, and that those spirit check-ins are also just like a really beautiful little like morsel to fit into your day to like just take some time where you're not listening to the news or anything and just sort of like sit with yourself. Yeah. Well, and I also say, so Jeremy and I have also been talking about, um, we want to do an episode on religion and beer, so talking about Trappist monks a lot. And then also, um, we talked about maybe doing a live recording of both of us watching the new Mrs. America on Hulu together for the first time, and that's the show all about Phyllis Schlafly and the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we're super excited to have you. Um, so... We are going to be talking about the final girls this week. If you have not seen this movie, I want to say up at the top, this is like a favorite of mine. I think that this episode is going to mostly be like a love fest for this movie. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend that you watch it before listening because I think we're going to spoil the hell out of it. Um, and I think it's worth your time. Uh, if you have not seen the movie, the it came out in 2015 and it stars... Uh, Thaisa Farmiga and Malin Ackerman as a daughter and mother, respectfully. And Malin Ackerman's character, Amanda, is an actress who was in a sort of schlocky 80s slasher movie when she was a young actress and has not been able to get out from under her reputation of being in that movie. Like, she really wants to be an actress, and every time she goes into auditions, people are like, oh, you were in that movie where you lose your virginity and then die. Um... In the opening of the film, she and her daughter, Thaisa Farmiga, whose name is Max in the movie, are driving and they get in a car accident and Malin Ackerman dies. And we cut to three years later, uh, Thaisa Farmiga, Farmiga goes to a movie screening for the movie that her mom was in, which is called Camp Bloodbath. She goes with her friend Gertie, played by Aaliyah Shawkat, and Gertie's stepbrother, what's his name, Duncan, played by Thomas Middleditch. This movie just has a phenomenal cast because then you also have the guy that has a crush on Max, uh, Chris, who's played by Alexander Ludwig, and you have Nina Dobrev. Uh, I think this is two weeks in a row we've done a Nina Dobrev movie, Nina Dobrev of uh, Vampire Diaries and The Roommate fame. Um, Indeed. Playing, playing sort all of like Dobrev the, all the time. Yeah, sort of like playing the bitchy, like stereotypical, mean, popular girl, Vicky. Additionally, you have... Uh, household favorite in my home, Adam Devine from Workaholics playing one of the camp counselors. Um, it's just like a really stellar movie. And so at this movie screening, there's a fire in the theater. Max and her friends try to escape through the video screen. There's an emergency exit behind the projection screen. So they cut a hole through the screen and go through. 
And when they wake up, they are in the movie. And so for the remaining runtime of the final girls, all of our characters are in the movie and are trying to figure out a way to survive the plot of Camp Bloodbath and get back home to L.A. Um, Ashley, I want to let you go first because this movie was your pick. Uh, Tell me a little bit about when you first saw the movie and why you like it. And just give me your sort of general impressions. I'm trying to remember when I first saw the movie. Obviously, it was in 2015. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe, I mean, it was, because it was a release straight to streaming, wasn't it? I think it showed in some theaters, but on a very limited scale. Not anywhere that was near me. Because I definitely was watching it at home. I remember I was at home, hanging out on my couch, you know, probably in sweatpants. Not different than usual right now. Yeah. Um... But no, I remember watching it, and I think I texted you the entire time I was watching it because I was laughing so hard, and I was uh, just going, like, you know, because you and I have talked about, I'm not a huge horror movie fan, and so it was really Sophie who got me into it a little bit, a little bit I am into it. But yeah, it was really fun. Uh, (laughs) It made me laugh constantly like if you are like in need of a good laugh like this is the movie to watch right now Mm -hmm. but I mean yeah I I'd say I think I liked the movie so much because of it's it's like weirdly meta and intellectual (laughs) while it's like just completely ridiculous at the same time right right uh, Hannah, I, I think I know your history with this movie, but why don't you tell the listeners when you first saw this movie and what your relationship is with it? Um, well, you and I had heard about it um, before it came out and were excitedly awaiting its initial release. Um, so we watched it together, um, I think, at Mom's house? No, we were in uh, our parents' basement at Dad's. <laughs> ah, okay. So, we, But we watched it for the first time together um, and, like, had a great time and super loved it. Um, yeah, it was good for me as well just because um, my boyfriend with me doing this podcast has, like, uh, he sat through a couple, like, stinkers in a row and then since then, um, he hasn't been watching the movies with me as much. So I was like, don't worry, this one's going to be great. <laughs> um, and it'll, like, you'll be into it. So it was a nice thing for both of us, too, for, like, me to watch a movie that he could actually, uh, like, get into with me. But it was also fun because he had never seen it, and I kind of got to, like, watch it with him and see it, like, from his experience. Mm-hmm. Um so I really liked it, although um, I love the movie. I think it's great. Um, so I'm also super love festy about it, but I don't think it's necessarily without its flaws. So if I'm the, I might be the only one who's kind of like at times like eh, but I still love the movie and think it's amazing. Hey, and I'm here for that. Like I think there is room for that in this conversation. Um, so I, I, I love this movie. I remember you showing me the trailer for this, like, months before it came out. And like you said, we were so excited for it to yeah. get released. Um, and honestly, I think one of my favorite... I mean, there's a lot of stuff I love about this movie. But one of my favorite things about the movie now is I think the thing that I was the most put off by when I first watch it, watched it. And... That was the, like, very uh, emotional and sentimental, like, heart at the core of this movie. Um, Because, ultimately, this movie is about um, Max sort of grappling with the loss of her mother. And, of course, when they go back, when they get stuck in the movie, she is now interacting with her mother's character. And there's a lot of transference between her and Nancy, her mom's character. Because she gets to be sort of like, she feels like she's getting a second chance to be with her mom, but it's not her mom. Um, And so I remember the first time we watched it being like, yeah, I really like this movie, but I feel like some of that mushy stuff was too much for me. Uh, Which makes me laugh now, because honestly, every time I watch it, I appreciate that storyline more. 
And I think it absolutely has to do with the times that we're in right now. But um, when we get to like one of the climactic scenes in this movie, uh, that is like sort of the emotional, the climax of the emotional arc for Max, uh, I was sobbing. It, like, it's not like I didn't know it was going to happen. I've seen this movie a million times. Um, but yeah, like, like Hannah said, this is a movie that I have seen several times and I love getting to share with new people either by watching it with them or recommending it because I just feel like it's a movie that did not get the love and audience that I wish it had when it came out. Well, and um, it's also, I was going to say, it's also weird because I remember being confused at first when you told me about this movie because in the exact same year, a movie with the name Final Girl came out too. Yes. So that was just confusing. Yes, and I have not seen that movie, but I, I have either. heard not great things about it. So yeah, yeah, that's a that movie was also it's done by um, Tyler Shields, who's a photographer primarily. He's a pretty talented photographer, but um, it was weird when he just all of a sudden was like, "I'm gonna make a movie." Um, yeah, I think like he was. I'm not sure if he still is, but he was dating Francesca Eastwood for a really long time and so I feel like he was just kind of like like I'm basically in the movies now <laughs> like I'll just make a movie sure Alexander Ludwig is in both movies by the way <gasps> oh fascinating yeah okay, he's in wait, Final Girl no, I, and the Final Girls no I want you to say that now say that and then I'll do my thing um yeah so I I wasn't entirely sure I was worried that I was wrong and just thinking of another like handsome blonde man but um, Alexander Ludwig is in Final Girl and The Final Girl, so he's in both movies that have the same name and came out the same year. I would love <laughs> to ask him if he has a preference between them. <laughs> Based on the bloopers from the set of this movie, I would have to imagine this one was more fun to make than that one. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you're playing um, a guy in Final Girl that's like attempting to harm women. I don't think that's necessarily a fun role to play. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, so this movie is written by M.A. Fortin and Joshua John Miller, who have worked together in the past and since then. They created a TV show on USA called Queen of the South, um, which I never watched, but Ashley has. No, uh, so I've only watched like snippets of it because uh, last year when I was back home with my family, my dad and my mom were like watching it a lot mm-hmm. and preparing for the next season to come out. Okay. I, I mean, I had literally had never heard of it, and now that I know they were involved, I'm absolutely going to watch it. Um, it's, about, it's about a woman who's in charge of a drug cartel. I'm sold. <laughs> um, honestly, on this movie alone, I would watch anything that these guys do. Like, I'm sure that they might... I would be open to the fact that they could do something that's not good, but I enjoyed this so much, I would, I would watch something else. Um, I would be but, open to that. <laughs> I didn't mean, like, like, they can do no wrong, but I yeah. want to see what else they do. <laughs> I am open to accepting that possible reality. Now, here is a super fun <laughs> fact for both of you that Hannah probably already knew because she's a walking encyclopedia of film knowledge, but maybe she doesn't, and that is that uh, one of the writers, Joshua John Miller, is an used to, is has in the past acted, uh, and has acted in horror films. He was in Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. He was also in River's Edge, and he was in uh, Teen Witch in the eighties. But perhaps most interesting to me, his father was Jason Miller, who played Father Karras in the movie The Exorcist. Yeah, so yeah. I did know that. <laughs> yeah, I knew that you did. I knew. I'm sure you did. But and he wrote the movie partially, like um, based off in his own experience, like having his father die and having it be like this weird experience of being able to like revisit your parent in a like classic film. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, I didn't read this until after I finished watching the movie today, so I don't want people to think like I read this and that's why I appreciate the sentimentality part so much more now because it, a it was not just this viewing and b i didn't read it till after but there was a quote that i read from him uh on the wikipedia page for the movie that says i grew up watching my dad in the exorcist and there's something haunting strange confusing and a little bit unnatural about seeing your parent constantly die in a film but it's something that also becomes iconic and we tried to deconstruct what the effects of that would be like as well as what it would be like if you had a second chance but your second chance was inside of the movie. Um, 
The Final Girls was also directed by Todd Strauss Schulson, who directed the movie Isn't It Romantic with Rebel Wilson that came out, I think, last year. Um, mm. Did either of you watch that? Yes. Yeah, I, I did too. Not. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Like, I mean, it's Todd, not great, but... But it's in that me- that genre of meta movies about the genre it's in. Yeah. And it, and it has a very similar, I think, aesthetic to this, where, like, the colors are all very oversaturated. It's very bright. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really, really love. And is I think one of my favorite things about this movie, honestly, is the oversaturation once they go into the movie world. Um, mm-hmm. Because it doesn't exactly make sense. Because, like, we know... Like, I guess I shouldn't say it doesn't make sense. What I mean is... I'm so used to watching slashers from the 80s that obviously even when they've been restored are done on older film stock and often are done in like very muted tones. Like even um, Friday the 13th, like they're in a camp, but it's not like super verdant and green and some, there's something very like dreamy about the way that this all appears when they go back. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, I guess partially some of that was a mistake. That they kind of embraced, like, um, in the IMDb trivia, uh, it was, like, in the script that the, that there, that there needed to be this, like, shift into, like, exaggerated tones within the film, and the set designers were like, okay, we can do that, and they planted the, like, brightly colored fake flowers all over the set, but, like, the director didn't know that was going to be a thing until he, like, got there. So when he got there, he was like, okay, this can, this can still, like, this can work. Um, And I think it really does work within the film, especially, like, the more and more exaggerated it gets at certain times. Um, But it's funny because that was also, like, partially a mistake that they kind of decided to embrace rather than, like, you know, waste a bunch of time, like, pulling out the flowers or abandoning it or anything. I mean, it does wonders for the VW bus. <laughs> Wait, so, Sophie, I have a question for you. Wait, I can't hear Sophie. I can't hear Sophie either. Guys, my microphone was muted. Well, that explains it. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Okay, go. No, so my question for you, Sophie, is I'm curious, not to, like, belabor the subject, but I am really curious as to, like, why the first time that non-horror story arc about the emotional reunion just, like, didn't do it for you. Oh, no, I would love to talk about this. So the short, I I should say up front, I don't know that this answer is going to be super coherent. I think a lot of it had to do with expectations. So because Hannah and I were so eagerly anticipating this movie and because we had seen the trailer, I think I was expecting this to be an all-out, like, laugh-a-minute movie, which, to your point, I think it is. Like, this movie is very smart and very funny, and I think you have a lot of actors with great comedic timing delivering really funny lines. And I think the honest answer and the most basic answer is that I just wasn't expect, probably wasn't expecting there to be uh, that much like emotion and sentimentality. And it caught me off guard. And I was like, eh, it feels kind of saccharine. I don't like it. Um, but every time I watched it after that, I was like, wow, this story feels like very earned and it feels true. And like, it's hard for me watching it now to understand how I felt that way because to me now it doesn't feel overdone. It feels like this like really beautiful heart that makes the movie like, I think it's most of it's part of the reason why I love the movie, right? Like this movie would just be kind of a like fun, silly, like cotton candy thing. If it didn't have that center that kind of like weights it and grounds it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also the plot moving device too. Like for sure. Yeah. I personally, um, despite the fact that I do love this movie and I have watched it a bunch of times since the first time I saw it, I do fall into that category where at times I find the, um, I find some of the more, uh, emotional scenes, like, a little hollow for me, 
Um, I think just because there's a lot of other things going on in the movie, and sometimes during those scenes, I'm kind of like, all right, let's just keep, like, let's just keep it moving. Let's get to, like, the funny stuff, or, like, let's get to the kills. Like, sometimes the, the way that the pace will slow down a lot for the emotional scenes, like, doesn't always work for me. Um, but I, like, that said, I, I think all the people in the movie, um, like, all the actors do a really good job with it. Um, so I don't think that that's, like, any fault necessarily on the filmmakers or the actors. And it might just be that I'm not always going into a horror movie looking for sentimentality. Um, and so maybe some of that is just my own, like me being jaded from seeing so many where I'm like, whatever, let's just kill them already. <laughs> um, I, instead of I, like, si- like getting to know, uh, like the emotional depth of the characters. Well, but I, I nope, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say that all of that, to, all that said, I do love at the end when, um, Nancy realizes that like she has to die for um, Max to be able to fully become the final girl and in a scene that feels like it shouldn't work whatsoever because she has to like open her shirt to like summon (laughs) Mm -hmm. Billy her doing like an emotional striptease on like like to her daughter <laughs> like which sounds all together like that should be terrible and that should be laughable is to me actually the most um successful emotional scene in the film and I do really like that moment mm-hmm. even though other times it can get a little like out take me out of it a little bit um I do think that moment is like amazingly done mm-hmm. I mean the song though really helps I'm always teared up at that moment <laughs> Yeah, I mean the music in this movie, right, is like fantastic. So the they they pepper in like the perfect '80s songs at the perfect times because my other favorite music cue is when the like the stereotypical sort of like slutty, uh, quote unquote slutty camp counselor who's like one of the first ones to die, right? Like they're gonna use her as bait. And, if, and she's going to do a striptease. That's what's scripted. And so they're like, you have to wait until we can booby trap the house. And then you do your striptease. And that's going to call Billy to the house. And, of course, it's to Cherry Pie, which is, mm-hmm. like, such a phenomenal. Like, that whole sequence of her doing the dance, which then leads into this amazing. I'm sure it's not a true long take, but they do this effect to make it look like a long take of sort of. Billy showing up and everyone's trying to like Rube Goldberg to kill him and the camera's sort of shifting between characters. And it's all and it's really going cool wrong. Way. Yeah. Um, I want to ask too much you, Adderall. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask you guys because I think so much of this movie um, really, really works because of the actors that are cast and because of the performances they give. I want to know if you had to pick a favorite character and or, like, slash performance in this movie. I want to know who you would pick. Way to ask a tough question. I know, and (laughs) it's cheating because I I thought of it earlier, so I can go first because I I thought about it earlier. Um, So I think that this will be unsurprising to Hannah, uh, but I'm going to have to pick Thomas Middleditch's performance as Duncan. Um, (laughs) He is not in the movie for as long as I wish he was, R.I.P. Duncan. Um... But there is just, like, I I have loved Thomas Middleditch in almost everything he's ever in. Like, I have a harder time when he's in, what was he in? Some something, I think it was Godzilla, where I was like, okay, you're like a serious scientist or something, and it's not really my jam. But, like, this movie is like the perfect wheelhouse for Thomas Middleditch, where he just gets to be a super enthusiastic nerd. And every scene he's in is my favorite scene in the movie. He's also in my favorite blooper, which is at the very end when they kind of give like each actor a blooper and his is, he's like sitting on the hospital bed, like ever since I was a little boy, I've always wanted to be a final girl and starts giggling, um, (laughs) which Hannah and I like still say to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, He also has an amazing pratfall at the beginning, uh, which like as someone who is not an actor uh, by any stretch, uh, and has never been comfortable doing acting or anything similar. 
I so I so very much appreciate folks who are good at doing physical comedy because I can't even imagine how challenging it is to to like have comedic timing and also incorporate your body and have it look natural. And the pratfall he does was like the selling point for me of the trailer was like, oh, this movie is going to be good because Thomas Milovich is going to be in it. Um, so he is my favorite character. Yeah, I think, too, I wonder, too, if that moment was not scripted because they show it as part of the bloopers reel at the end. So I think he either actually tripped or he did it on purpose but without everyone knowing and that it, they just thought it was so funny that they, like, kept it in. I My interpretation is that I am fairly certain that it was scripted in and I think the blooper is a take where he tried to do it and tripped mm-hmm. and, like, actually hurt himself because, like... In the blooper, so what happens is he's trying to, like, hop over a velvet rope and be really cool, and he trips and falls. But in the blooper, it, like, smashes him in the shin, and you can hear it. it. And he's like, ow, ow. Yeah. (laughs) So I do think that the pratfall was probably in the script, but, yeah, that take, like, it is, uh, that blooper take, it makes me laugh. But it also, as someone who's prone to shin injuries, uh, because I'm clumsy and I get shin splints, it, like, hurts me to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my, I think my, it's hard for me to pick a favorite. Um, I think somebody who I have to sort of like shout out as an unsung hero of the movie, I think a little bit is, I think Alexander Ludwig does a really good job because he has a relatively thankless role. Um, cause he's really just sort of like a handsome, like handsome arm candy, which yeah. is sometimes uh refreshing in a film where like that's the the like male lead is being sidelined a little bit just to kind of like be, be there to look attractive um but i think he does a really good job of giving um chris like heart and humor in with not a lot of material and not a lot to work with so he he makes him like really earnest mm-hmm. um, in a nice way. So I think he's like an unsung hero. But I think my favorite is probably Adam Divine. So I just think <laughs> he's so funny and he, yeah. like a lot of the just the, his delivery of lines is so good and um, I think his ability to like make jokes with other people, but also at his own expense is amazing. So he's, he's gotta be my favorite, I think. And the two of them have one of my favorite interactions in the whole movie, which is when all of the quote unquote real characters have to babysit one of the movie characters. And so they send Chris to babysit Kurt and Kurt's like flipping through a, a playgirl or something or playgirl playboy. Uh, and like, uh, Chris is like first he Chris is sort of like trying to get him less horny and then uh, Adam Devine uh, accuses him of being a fag and then Chris is like my dads are gay and I love Adam Devine Kurt's reaction is like no gay guys can't have kids they're too busy going to a discotheque and having sex with each other it's a pretty cool lifestyle actually yeah um it's just like it's such a great like i appreciate it because i think it's a nice way to send up that really nasty and unnecessary trope of like being super homophobic especially when it comes to uh gay men in 80s horror films and then turning it on its head was like really nice yeah I would also say, so, I wouldn't say that, like, Adam Devine's character is my favorite, but I love him as an actor, and I can't say that I've seen him in something where he hasn't just, like, stolen me over. Yeah. Um, He'll charm the pants right off of you. Right? Like, I'm just like, oh, (laughs) Oh, what if he could? Oh, like, if I could, I'd have him charm my pants off any day. (laughs) But I would say, I think, my favorite character and it's another it's another actor that like there's been very little that I've seen her in that she just doesn't make me laugh is Gertie. Yeah. Yeah. Aaliyah Shawkat is so good in this movie. She is so good. Yeah and I read in the IMD trivia that um 
the scene where she reveals that she was uh, that she's not a virgin, and uh, someone says the guy she lost her virginity to is autistic. That originally that was like written in the script as kind of a diss on Gertie, but that Aaliyah Shawkat was not comfortable with the with that being a punchline, so they mm-hmm. let her ad lib the scene, and so it was like her choice and her own style that turns that into more of a joke on everybody else for thinking that that makes like this person lesser or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also pretty cool. So she's a great, a great choice for that. I was going to say like, as far as jokes that may or may not land because we have a native Michigander on the podcast, I was wondering how you felt Ashley about Nina Dobrev saying like, we're just going to casually watch someone get killed. Who are we? Or where are we Detroit? I was like, woof. <laughs> well, also, I mean, shout out Adam Devine is from Iowa. So Midwest. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. What were you going to say, Hannah? Before I my, uh, my boyfriend is, uh, his family is from Detroit and he laughed at that. So, <laughs> so, so I laughed at it. Like, the first time I watched the movie, I laughed at it. But having... Okay, so, for the listeners, especially if you're from Michigan, I'm not from Detroit proper, I'm from Metro Detroit. If you ever actually meet somebody who's from Detroit, Detroit, they will get angry at you. My dad grew up in Detroit, but not me. Um, (laughs) The number of times growing up that I've ever been asked of, like, oh, have you seen a stabbing? Have you seen a drive-by? And, like, I kind of get frustrated, and I have a bunch of friends, especially when it comes to, like, photography of the city. It's a lot of, like, um, kind of, like, uh, poverty tourism or, like, violence tourism, it feels like. And it's kind of, like, everyone's kind of um, not romanticizing like, drive-bys and stabbings, but, like, using it as a form of entertainment. And so I think when it's used, when somebody's, like, asking sincerely, like, oh, my God, have you seen a drive-by? Because they want to be able to say, like, I know somebody who's seen a drive-by. Like, that bothers me. But I think Mm -hmm. the way they did it in the movie was pretty funny because, you know, for a while, top, top, top. That was your experience, yeah. No, not my experience, necessarily. <laughs> I mean, like, having people ask you that. Oh, not, yeah, having people yeah. ask me that, but also the city was in the top ten most violent cities in the country for a while. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, plug, tourism in Detroit is awesome. Go visit Detroit. It looks nothing like what it looked like when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, literally, my only experience with Detroit is knowing you and watching It Follows, which, like, is only in the suburbs of Detroit and then, like, the all of the dilapidated parts Have of Have you still so. not watched Detroiters? Because that's, like, the one of the greatest shows ever that got canceled and it broke my heart. No, I really need to. Um, oh, also, I just want to I just want to plug a thing uh, that I'll I'll tag it in the show notes. But I also I mostly want to plug it to my co-hosts, which is that like if you guys love Adam Devine, you should watch the YouTube video where Adam Devine and Blake from Workaholics read thirst tweets because like uh, if you're a person, especially if you're a person who watched Workaholics, because like they are both so. Uh, sweet and shocked by all of the things that people are saying they want them to do to them. Like, like that. One of my favorite ones is there's one that's like, I want uh, Adam Devine. I think it says I want Adam Devine to choke me and call me a bitch. And he's like, Why would I ever do that? He's like, Maybe I would call you like nice things, like romantic things, and then uh, like gently penetrate you. Like, why does this have to be so terrifying? It's just, like, <laughs> it's just very sweet to see them be like the polar opposite of what you expect based on the characters they typically play. They're just like, oh, why is everyone these days, like, so crazy with their sex stuff? It's like, Did you know, it? Yes. Did you know he's also with, um, he's with, uh, what's the actual, what's the girl who's supposed to be the final girl who dies in, ex- in the explosion? Paula? Paula. They're together in real life. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I think I broke my my microphone. I, they've been together so for a cute. long time. Like I think like like since Workaholics was on TV, so it's been a couple of years. They might even oh. be married now. That's really adorable. Yeah. She's also like, I, I'm not. I'm I'm gonna say it. She's damn fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's like a little too pretty for me. <laughs> wow, Hannah. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um. 
She's from <laughs> Louisiana too, which just makes her even better. Let's be no, honest. she's gorgeous. Yeah, hell yeah. Her hair um, is like right? so amazing in this. I was movie. gonna say it's she pulls like, off that '80s hairdo like no one else could. It's she's great. got this like big blown out swoop that is. That's although, like one thing I think that this movie succeeds in is that sometimes when movies or TV shows are going for um, like an '80s aesthetic, they go for like these these like aspects of the 80s that we know to be true but are like significantly overblown yeah. in representations of the 80s um where like one thing i appreciate about this movie is i feel like they get more of that right and they make it feel more um natural without being like so over the top mm-hmm. uh like like little things with just like the way that a lot of the girls like shorts mm-hmm. fit and, like, with the pleading and stuff, like, that feels very right to me. Um, but the dialogue, I think, especially, like, one of her first lines is, like, where she calls someone a needle dick. And that is such an 80s movie term. Like, you, I feel like I never hear that right. anymore. But I feel like in 80s movies, it was, like, it was like you had to call someone a needle dick at least once. Um, <laughs> so I feel like there's Just a lot of your good... There's a lot of, like, what feels more authentic to me and poking fun at it um, and at the 80s than, like, just sort of, like, the over-the-top, like, everyone's wearing neon, like, that kind of thing, which right. you don't actually really see very much in, like, actual 80s media. Right. So, I will say, I looked it up. They're engaged, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Good to know. But they got Good engaged, and, like, they are not, yeah. So... Maybe we'll get a post-pandemic wedding. Oh, that would be absolutely delightful. Also, speaking of like, I thought you were saying like maybe she like one of them will die and we'll still have a chance. Oh, <laughs> Hannah, that went real dark. Good <laughs> to know. Also, I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that she's um, younger than me. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, I think she's like my age, so yeah, she's twenty eight. I'm okay with that. <laughs> it means that of I course still you have are. You're like I'm still in the window. Mm. No, 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 no. I could, I'd take window. either one of them. I'd say, love to I be in the say, middle of that. Right? <laughs> yes, actually, Adam Divine though is uh, closer to. Well, actually, we're not that close to his age. So if we still have a few years to go, but oh. <laughs> he's thirty six. Oh. <laughs> we'll get there. Um. Oh, what I was gonna say when we were talking about when you guys were talking about the '80s and how Hannah, you were saying like w- like the more realistic and like feels actual and not like the overdone neon '80s stuff. One of the things I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about this movie that I never thought of before, but it reminds me in a weird way, especially at the diversity of the character personalities and how those personalities are portrayed. It reminds me a lot of my favorite '80s movie. The Breakfast Club. Mmm. I could totally see that. Because, like, you have this weird mix of people who all come together, and they're all together because of camp, or in the case of, like, Max, because she's the centering figure, and, um, uh, oh god, what is her character's name? Why can't I remember? Vicky? Gertie. Vicky. No, Vicky. And, like, so, and Vicky's only there because she's following Chris. And so it's like you have all of these very different characters with very different personalities thrown together and they all have to figure out how to interact with each other. <laughs> and for at least the characters of the movie of uh the the phone movie, the movie Yeah, Camp Bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> um like and they're supposed to be being like overly exaggerated. I think it just makes it even better because like The Breakfast Club for as great of a movie as it is and as much as I love John Hughes all of his movies, their characters' personalities are just, like, overdone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I'm glad you brought up, uh, I'm glad you brought up John Hughes because that, in a, in a circular way, brings me to the topic, a topic I really wanted to talk about, which is that Hannah, on our show in the past, we've talked about movies, uh, and I know in my personal life I've talked with folks about movies where, uh, male writer and directors often like cis straight white male writer directors write movies with every intention of like 
making a movie that feels feminist and does cool things for women and they fail. And I feel like in a way that is, is not, this movie is not like advertising it. This movie is not like, look how feminist we are. But I feel like this movie does a great job of centering female characters who for the most part feel like real people. Um, and just telling a story that feels every time I watch this movie, I am surprised when I remember that all of the, all of the writer director staff were men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that they do, um, a really amazing job with the way that the women feel, uh, like well written and fleshed out to me. Mm -hmm. And the way that they still hit the horror movie tropes that they're going for, that they're poking fun at, but they don't actually do it. Like, they say a lot like, oh, you have to have sex in this movie and then you die. Or, you have, like, you show your tits and then, you know, the killer comes. But there isn't actually any sex or nudity in the movie. So yeah. they reference, like, and get as close as they need to to those ideas that the jokes and um, the themes like still land without actually having to like exploit any of their characters um, so I think that's a hard thing to do yeah without it feeling like goofy or gimmicky um, or even like obvious like I don't even think a lot of times you even notice that or or feel like it's lacking anything um, so I think that's also a really impressive aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure that all of your listeners probably know what a final girl is, but, um, on the off chance that I can get people from religionish to listen to this, do you want to explain what a final girl is? I would love to explain what a final girl is. So the concept of a final girl was, uh, named by Carol J. Clover she is a um, academic who wrote a phenomenal book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws about, like, gender politics and horror films. And so she coined the term final girl to describe this phenomenon or trope in slasher movies where you have one female character who is typically a virgin, typically... Uh, androgynous in the presentation of her gender um, and typically kind of like bookish and nerdy who who either in spite of or because, often because of those things is able to survive until the end of the movie and be the, the one who has to take on the, uh, the killer. I'm going to pause us for one second. Okay, cool. I lost Ashley, but she's back. Okay. Um... <laughs> So it's really interesting. A lot of people, um, myself included, sort of cite Laurie Strode as being one of the sort of prototypical final girls. She was obviously not the first one. You had Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out before. You also have Olivia Hussey in Black Christmas, which came out before uh, both of those movies. But um, I think she's not a virgin in that movie, though. No, she is not. Um, well, and that's what I was going to say is it's interesting because, uh, there is nothing in explicitly Olivia Hussey's character is not a virgin in Black Christmas. There is nothing about, uh, Sally's, uh, like virginity status in Texas Chainsaw. I, I mean, she, in fact, I think one of the guys that she, they're traveling with is her boyfriend. So it's implied at least that like she's in a romantic relationship with a guy her age where sex is a possibility. And so Halloween came out and Laurie Strode is this very like bookish and focused and kind of nerdy character. And so a lot of people cite John Carpenter as sort of creating this trope for better or worse, where the final girl has to be like virginal and nerdy and androgynous. Um, and that's why she's able to succeed. And then what does that say about gender norms and what we expect of women? And uh, John Carpenter has always said, and whether you believe him or not is your own choice, but John Carpenter has always said that it wasn't his intention to say that the people in Halloween that are having sex are being punished for having sex. The point is, Lori survives because, like, she's not 
a teenager who's like being run by her hormones. She is observant and paying attention. Her other friends who are like drinking and trying really hard to meet up with their boyfriends and get laid are less observant to weird things that are going on because they are distracted by other things. Now that sort of gets taken in a direction where, especially in the Friday the 13th movies, it becomes all but codified that like, if you drink or do drugs or have sex or do anything that is taboo, you are going to be a victim. And so that's sort of where the trope of the final girl was born. And then since then there have been iterations of movies that try to do interesting things to sort of interrogate or subvert that trope. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this movie, I think to both of your points about how it, it feels like they're doing some really interesting stuff, uh, that again, doesn't feel like they're rubbing it in your face, right? Like there is inherently, there is no sex. Like you said, Hannah, there is no nudity. There's this line that I appreciated. I think, I think stuck out to me more on this viewing than any other viewing, when they're explaining to Tina that she's going to do her striptease and that's what's going to make Billy show up. Um, Because I think if you're going to tie this movie to any slasher franchise, it's going to be Friday the 13th. Like, that's what it most closely resembles, which really did sort of, um, like I said, codify this idea that, like, the killer is trying to punish teenagers who are misbehaving. And Tina is like, but why does he hate my boobs? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is just, like, such a great a great line that feels like a throwaway line, but carries some weight to it. And I also think that Adam Devine's character serves as, like, a perfect sort of, like, stand-in for the typical, like, male gaze and male viewer, and then lampoons him. So it's doing those two things simultaneously, where it's like, we're not going to show you the sex or the nudity, and we're going to sort of, like, mock the the... Uh, like create an effigy of that and then make fun of it uh, and ultimately kill <laughs> kill him. Yeah, um, which when I he really says enjoy. like when he says like to them at the very beginning, he's like, "You guys' clothes are weird. Like, are you poor? Are you poor people?" And <laughs> Vicky is like, "Oh right, like I'm getting dissed by the man in the crop top." Like, just that. Right. I think they do moments like that where it also just. I think they do a good job of making jokes at the expense of both times like our Mm -hmm. current time and the 80s -hmm. but also jokes like that that sort of pinpoint um like aspects of masculinity that are so fragile and futile it's like that in the 80s there was this like there was so much of this like loud bravado about like having sex and being a man's man where you're wearing crop tops and short shorts, which is, like, by today's standards of masculinity, like, not a masculine thing. It's a, like, that's, like, more of a feminine look or, or like, a more, like, I mean, for lack of a better term, gay look. <laughs> um, so I think jokes like that do a really good job at, at also just making, just, like, the like uh fragility of masculinity even better because it's just like and just in general how things change so much over time yeah for all genders that it's it's hard to take any of it too seriously because it's just not gonna stick or you know we'll be joking about that in 10 years like it it does a good job at that yeah um so I we are approaching wrapping up our conversation about the movie, uh, but I wanted to tell you guys a couple other facts and then ask you if you had final thoughts. Um, so this movie was originally picked up by New Line Cinema in 2011, but once they weren't making any moves on it, they started shopping it around, and so Sony bought it and, and put it out through their uh, company, Stage 6. This movie premiered at South by Southwest and was super well-received, But it seems, and then it showed at a bunch of other festivals and did really what, like big prestigious festivals did well, won a lot of awards. Um, It won the Audience Award at the Stanley Film Festival. Uh, It won, uh, it was nominated for a bunch of awards at the Fangoria Festival. It showed at TIFF. Like this movie was kind of all over the place. And then it seems like 
uh, once it came out, it got really mixed reviews from critics. So, like, it made the New York Times critic picks list. Uh, it was number nine on BuzzFeed's top 19 horror films of the year that year. It was number 10 on Rolling Stone's top 10 list of horror films of that year. But then it got a C-plus from the AV Club, and it got uh, only two stars on Roger Ebert's website. So it, it feels like this movie is one that really, really worked for some people and really fell flat for others, um, which is kind of heartbreaking because for me, um, every time I watch this movie, I get, I have the same emotional experience I have when I like finish watching 2016's Ghostbusters, where I'm like, this movie should have had a sequel. And like, in the case of this movie, like the writers and the directors and the cast were all on board to do a sequel. And then I presume it didn't do enough money and Sony wouldn't option it, um, which just really bums me out because I think they could have done, they are doing everything they're doing so well in this movie. And I would have loved to see what they would have done with a second one. So Sophie, you're definitely looking at the IMDb trivia right now. I'm not. Oh, you're not? Oh, I thought you were. I didn't cause... even read the IMDb trivia for this say, movie. Because those I are both things that are on the IMDb <laughs> trivia. I thought you were, like, literally reading it. Anyway, I was going to say, if you're asking for my final thoughts, if you are looking at the IMDb trivia and you scroll down a little, um, you will see that Thomas Middleditch did um, improvise tripping. And the director decided to keep it in. Well, I don't know if it was improvised. It just says he tripped during rehearsal. Yes. <laughs> and the director decided to keep it in. So that you could see the uh, the uh, Camp Bloodbath 2 poster for a longer period of time. So what you're telling me is that may or may not have been a pratfall. It might have just been an actual fall. He either ad-libbed the the thing and they thought it was so funny they kept it in or he actually tripped i'm fine with either of those options to yeah. be totally honest <laughs> um i'm just saying that since normally you're always like so prepared and i'm always just like here and i have so little to hang on to uh, i just wanted to make it clear that in this particular case um i was correct yeah <laughs> that that is true um I want to shout out, like, one of my favorite scenes in this movie. There's a Twitter account that Jeremy and I call follow called One Perfect Shot, where they'll just, like, pick one frame from a movie or a TV show, uh, and just, and the idea is, like, this is a, like, perfectly composed shot, or this shot is perfectly composed, it tells you everything you need to know about the show, or it really, like, carries a lot of emotional weight. And so sometimes Jeremy and I, when we're watching things, we'll turn to each other and go, one perfect shot, when there's, like, a really beautiful shot in something. And the the shot of Billy after the slumber party scene jumping out of the window while he's on fire and it's in slow motion and it cuts to a profile shot of him kind of, like, flying and all the flames behind him while they're all laying on the ground. Like, I would put a poster of that on my wall in a heartbeat. That's mm. an amazing shot. I think that also with the scene or the shot of like the chapel with the sky being all purple and red when it looks like an 80s like novel or uh, like movie poster, like that mm -hmm. sort of like drawn look to it. I love that shot. I think it's like so beautiful. Is there anything else that I missed that we want to talk about before we wrap? I was going to say, so back to when you were talking about like when cis white men try to portray women. I resonated so well with Max's character. Like, that tomboyish, I just don't give a crap about much, but I also feel super awkward and uncomfortable, like, describes my childhood. But also, <laughs> we need to give a shout-out to Hunky Hiker. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hunky Hiker was beautiful. And uh, then just dies. I want to give, and, like, while we're giving him a shout-out, the, the, his scene partner, who's only in the movie for, like, five minutes, but her delivery of, like, turning around to be sexy and going, where's the beef, is, I forget <laughs> that's going to happen every time. Like, I forget that's what she says every because, time, and it makes yeah. me laugh so hard. Because that's it's, like, also right at the beginning, and then you forget it, because everything else just keeps happening. Yeah. That's, like, such a good moment, too, when they could have 
put in like unnecessary boobs and they don't. Like that's yeah. a great example of that too where that's the first like s- like just example of them being like this is how the rules work. This is, you know, what we got to look out for and that's the first time that they're also like we're not going to actually have sex or nudity. <laughs> Definitely. Um okay, so Ashley on our podcast, we have a patent pending, although our dad's informed us we shouldn't say that because he's an intellectual property lawyer, uh, trademark pending. Mm. We've not applied for a trademark. Rating <laughs> system, wherein we rate the films on a scale of one to five Bloody Marys, and you can add any kind of accoutrement or garnishes that you wish. So how would you rate the final girls? Oh, this is actually hard because I don't like Bloody Marys. Um... Oh, my. Well, you're a guest, so we'll let you make your own drink. No, you're in the wrong place. Get out. Leave. <laughs> you don't get to rate it. I just don't like tomato juice. I can't do it. Um, it should be a, another brunch drink. You could do mimosas if you'd prefer. I love me some grapefruit mimosas. There you go. Um, I'll allow it. Okay, so out of how many? Sorry, I was half Five. I was stuck on the Bloody Mary thing. Um, <laughs> Um, I am going to rate it a four and a half grapefruit mimosas with some raspberries added into it. And if this were a Bloody Mary, it'd be full of tater tots. Um, I love it. (laughs) Yes, that's my rating. I love it. Hannah, what about you? Um, I would give it a solid four Bloody Marys with... Um, some uh, olives in there, obviously, and then um, a beer back. As now, per does usual. that bring it up to a four and a half, or is it just a four with a beer back? Um, I don't know, Sophie. Like, since when are you questioning me that I need to give an exact decimal? I was, I okay. I was just asking because what I was gonna <laughs> it's say basically is, a four and a half. Yeah. What I was going to say is I would also give this uh, movie five Bloody Marys, although each Bloody Mary would be made with Kansas City barbecue styled vodka, which is essentially a four and a half. (laughs) Nice. If I feel like if you add anything to the Bloody Marys, it's a half. So that's that's my new rule. Patent pending. Um. (laughs) So, this week for In Ladyer News, we've been really stretching the definition of In Ladyer News recently because a lot of us are not looking at the news. I, and I should say I'm not looking at the news, and sometimes it feels too overwhelming to try to get on Twitter to find a thing to use for In Ladyer News because Twitter is a scary place right now. So, what I want to do instead is share something that came up on my YouTube suggestions by... It's it feels sheer coincidence. So, uh, Ashley, I don't know your feelings or knowledge level on this particular artist, but Hannah and I are both, one might say, obsessed with the New Orleans Queen of Bounce, Big Frida. Um, and we love her dearly. If you are not familiar with Big Frida's music or Bounce music, Bounce is sort of like a very specific genre within hip hop that has like three or four bass beats that sort of get recycled in various songs. Um, Big Frida is amazing. And if you ever get a chance to see Big Frida live, do it because, oh Lord, it's a trip. It's so fun. But uh, I got a recommendation on my phone the other day that while in quarantine, I think on Sunday mornings, Big Frida has been going live on YouTube and I assume probably other uh, social media platforms as well, doing gospel brunch. And so she, the video from this past Sunday was an hour long. She starts the video by saying a prayer and someone is just following her around the kitchen, like with a phone (laughs) filming, filming her. And she like cooked this massive brunch and sort of instructed you. I think this last week, was like scrambled eggs and cheese grits and liver with onions. And she's just like cooking it for you and instructing you how to cook it and listening to gospel and singing and like talking to the folks that are in her house. Um, and I did not get the chance to watch it over the weekend because my weekend was too busy, but I will definitely be tuning in this next week to watch. Um, so 
I would, I'm going to, I'm going to use that as our in later news this week. If you are someone for whom the idea of gospel brunch does not sound appealing, that's totally fine. If that's the case, uh, just look up Big Frida and like watch some of her videos and listen to some of her jams because something that's been making me feel better while quarantined is just like spontaneous dancing. And it's impossible to not dance while Big Frida is playing. It's just <laughs> not possible. So, so there's that. Um, in fact, I think that that's a theme that is um, often brought up in their music videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like a person who's trying not to dance that just like slowly gets Can't. taken over. Like specifically, if you don't know Big Frida, I would highly recommend that you look up. It's either called Power or Louder. It's one of her newer songs. And then also uh, Ass Everywhere is a classic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to hear, like, traditional New Orleans bounce, you got to go for that song. Because some of her newer stuff is more mainstream. I will definitely um, be playing this when I make dinner later. Yes. And, like, it's oh, my God. It's not a seasonally appropriate, but I think it's, is it Rudy the Big Booty Reindeer? Yes! It's a really, really good one. It's a banger. Put it on your Christmas playlist. Yeah. You will be so happy you did. Um, if you want to get in touch with us here at the show, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at 28daysLady uh, underscore ER. You can also email us, and the email address is 28daysLadyer at gmail.com. Uh, Ashley, can you remind folks of your podcast and tell them where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, so the name of the podcast is Religionish. That's religion with I-S-H at the end. Um, we're on Twitter at Religionish. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, and we have a YouTube now. <laughs> um, and our, po- our website's Religionish.com, and our email is Religionishpodcast at gmail.com. Hell yes. Please give religionish, religionish a listen. It's really delightful. And uh, Hannah, where can people find you on the internet? Insert cricket tone. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll add that in post. <laughs> I have a good one from when I used it in uh, <laughs> Perfect. Also, Perfect. Also, I don't know if you want to add this too, but along the same lines of uh, what you were talking about with Big Frida, um, my friend introduced me to um this sweat fest stuff that happens on on instagram um and i did it for the first time last week and i have to say it was it was pretty pretty awesome um yeah dude definitely send me the link i'll put it in the show notes sweet all right i will do that all right uh so i guess that's it for us this week uh hannah do you want to uh salute us out yes as always, always pee after sex. Clink! Clink. Boom! That was very <laughs> close to in sync if it was. <laughs>